I hope you brought your Bible today because we're going we're gonna to dive in. This has been something that's been on my mind for the last two months, and it just kept coming up and kept coming up and kept coming up. <clears throat> At some point here in the next couple of months, I'm hoping to, to talk a little bit about um, more of the things we can expect in 2024, some of the things that we can expect, some of the things that the enemy's going to do, some of the things that, um, that God is going to do. But I've been hearing as I've talked to people over the last couple of months, I just have been hearing things that remind me of something that was fundamental that changed my perspective with God. As a matter of fact, it was so drastically different from what I grew up in, which was, was a, a good little evangelical church. What I grew up in, this was so different that it changed my perspective on the fundamentals of my Christianity. And I'm not trying to oversell something. I'm just simply saying the as I went over this this week, I just kept saying, God, this, this is just, when people get this, there are certain things, you guys, that are at the heart of the gospel. Okay? There are certain things that are the core. It's the core of what happened from the death, the burial, and the resurrection. If, if you and I have a clear view of what happened from the cross to the throne, there's a whole bunch of things in that three-day section that become clear because the fundamentals of what it meant, what happened to me, what, what, what the difference is in me is absolutely life-changing. So let me, let me show you what I mean. I was listening uh, to a, a, a guy I had met this, this minister at a, at a small group luncheon for something. I think it was for a, 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 a charitable um, pro-life group. And it was all good. And I met, met this minister and we got talking and, and um, he was a nice guy. And, and you know, uh, he had a, I forget which, which uh, denomination it was, but um, he had a collar, you know, a little white collar and he was dressed kind of in a suit and a nice guy. And we got talking and, and we started talking about some of these things and, and it was interesting to hear his, his flavor on mankind and, and what man needed and what man's problems were and, and stuff like that. And so I, I, I Googled his church and I just listened to him for a little while. And I listened to him for about 10 minutes and then I was like, right, I forgot that perspective. And, but it was this perspective, a consistent emphasis on how prone we are to blowing it, to falling short, to failing God, and the need to always acknowledge that. I'd forgotten. And then was listening, just, just little sound bites across the spectrum of, of preachers on TV. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not condemning <clears throat> the, the preachers. What I'm doing is emphasizing that I had forgotten that many focus... Churches and ministers have a constant focus on sin. That every service, sin is always brought up. That every service, our weakness is always brought up. That, that our unworthiness is brought up over and over and over again. And, and when, when you know what we're going to talk about today, that whole thing shifts drastically. Now, is sin an issue? Yes, no question. Sin's an issue. It's why Jesus came from heaven to die for us, right? He said that, for this reason I came, to die. So he came for one reason. But the key is that he did die, and one of the greatest schemes of the devil is to keep us focused on our inability and our unworthiness 
so that we never understand and walk in what his death accomplished for us. Let me say that again. One of the key strategies of the enemy is to keep you focused on how good you're not, on how often you make mistakes, on how often we fail, on how often we fall short of God. You know, we Christians, we're the best self-critics there are. Go with me to Romans chapter three. I want you to see this. And like I said, we're gonna dive in here because I, I wanna clarify something. There's many of you who have been Christians for six months or a year or less than two years. And when I hear some of those questions come up, I thought, man, Lord, I wanna give some of them what someone gave me 40 years ago when you started to deal with me on, on some of these truths that became the, the hallmark truths, the benchmark, the, 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 the establishing of my Christianity. There are certain things that are peripheral. You know, there's things that are important like end times. Yes, we're in the end times. Well, how, how end times is it? Well, I don't know. <clears throat> Jesus might come soon or he might wait another 20 years, you know? For me, soon is better because of the condition of the world. But it, that doesn't, you don't base your salvation on that, you know? Whether you're baptized in the name of Jesus or the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost or didn't have a chance to get baptized at all because you went to church, you got saved, you got run over by a cement truck, you still go to heaven. So it's really, it, it, should we all be baptized? Yes, we should all be baptized. But there are certain things that go deeper and deeper until there's core fundamental understandings that once you get it, it changes the way you relate to God, it changes the way you relate to the devil, and it changes the way you think about yourself. And in this generation, we are a generation, I'm talking about the generation that's younger than me, we are a generation that needs to understand who and what God has made us because our, the young generation right now is faced with so many things. When the devil's trying to sell a generation that you might not be a boy, you might be a girl, the answer to that is the identity of what Jesus did for us and who we are in Christ. When you need to get that, you go back to the maker. What does the maker say about me? And when we struggle with things, and we all struggle with things, when we struggle with things, it's what he said about me that will reform that image so that I become what he called me to be. Romans 3, verse 9. <clears throat> now, Paul has spent the first two chapters here showing that all men have sinned and all men are guilty before God. And then he sums it up here. And look at verse 9, Romans 3. What then are we better than they? He's talking about the Jews being better than the Gentiles. Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Now what you see happen in these next few verses is Paul presenting the legal case against humanity that God had. All these scriptures where it just lays out one thing after another that defines our fallen nature. It defines our guilt. <clears throat> that they are all under sin, verse 10, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. Together, they've all become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Remember, this is the Bible here. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is a nice group of people, eh? Boy, they, you wouldn't want to hang around. What's he doing? He's describing mankind in his fallen state. 
He's just laying it out and saying, this is how God views fallen man. Doesn't mean he doesn't love us, but he's, he's exposing our condition. If you got cancer all over, people still love you, but they can't touch the part where the cancer is because they might get it. God still loves us, but he's going, look, you guys got this really bad cancer from the inside out. Now, in verse 19, now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So not only is everyone guilty, but the purpose of the law in the Old Testament was to reveal and expose that guilt. That's what the purpose of the law was. You can see this throughout Paul's epistles. Now, go with me over to Ephesians chapter 2. First, we dig the hole that we're all in, and then we throw the ladder in that gets us all out. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you, and notice here the next three words says, he made alive. Notice that that's in italics. When when something's written in your Bible in italics, it was means it was added. It was added by the translators to help carry the thought. But in this case, they actually put put it in. And Paul brings the very same thing in a few a few uh, verses later. It takes away from what Paul is trying to say because he's just come out of. Uh, in chapter one, these various thoughts about what God has done with us, but now he's going back again and he's saying, okay, you guys, you need to see how bad it really was. You, you can't know how saved you are until you find out how lost you were, right? I remember one old preacher saying that. He said, you have to get people lost before you can get them saved. So let's read this. Without the, uh, he made alive. And you, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. So I want you to notice each line here because he lays out the, 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 the condemnatory case against humanity. You who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works <clears throat> in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And notice this last line because this is key for what we're talking about this morning. And were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So what's he saying? We were all dead in trespasses and sins. Dead meaning physically alive but separated from God. So before you received Jesus, you and I were dead in trespasses and sins. That word death is the Greek word thanatos. It means conscious existence and separation from God. I'm alive in this body, but I'm separate from God. Every religion in the world struggles with that right there. Every religion created in the world comes from the awareness of my fallen nature. So if I'm uh, this religion, then I have to sacrifice my baby in the Ganges to please the gods. Why? Because the human spirit that's unredeemed is aware of its fallen nature. We were never created to live without God, so we've created religions to create a structure that if I can just do this and this and this, then God will accept me. Or if it's another religion... 
you're aware of your fallen condition that God is not pleased with me, so I'm going to make a pilgrimage to this particular holy place. And when I do that, that'll show God how much I love him and how, listen to me, how I'm worth his acceptance. But no religious structure can change what Paul just said right, now, right there, which is the sin nature. The key to that whole passage was, we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So we were dead to God, physically alive, but listen to this. It was the sin nature that was giving birth to our sinful actions. You don't have a sin nature because you sin. You sin because you have a sin nature. Right? Watch where I'm going here. The law, Paul says, could never change man's nature. All the law could do is expose that you're wrong. Paul said that in the Old Testament. He talks about faith was given, but the law could never bring, bring um, redemption or righteousness because that only comes by faith. So Paul's whole discourse, Romans is a great book to read if you want to understand what actually happened. It's, 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 there's so much in what Romans and what Paul says about the fact that what we used to be and what God did and what it made us. Let's keep going. So the law could never change our nature. So here's an illustration. You can take a donkey... You can feed him racehorse food. You can cut his ears down and train him on the track every day, but he'll never be a racehorse because it's not in his nature. The same thing is true today. Being a good person, doing good things, following a certain set of religious laws doesn't do anything to change the sinful nature. All it does is trim your ears off and trim your tail and feed your racehorse food, but it never makes you a racehorse. Go with me to Romans chapter 3 now. Verse 21. Paul lays this, this discourse out here, Romans 3, 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Now notice something right there. How many of you are diving? I mean, don't, don't anybody go to sleep because you're going to get a bunch of scriptures here this morning. <clears throat> but the establishment of the thought that I'm going to bring, and I won't be able to finish it today because we'll start showing the benefits of what I'm talking about. For those of you who, who like I said, are newly born again, <clears throat> our, our condition that Paul talks about here is totally separate from God. I remember hearing a guy say this one time. He said, the condition to get into heaven is Perfection. You have to be perfect. So doing the law, you guys know this. Remember when Jesus went down to Sheol and Sheol had two compartments. Sheol had Abraham's bosom and then it had the other side where Lazarus went and said, I am tormented in this flame. And there was a great gulf fixed between the two. So how come there was people down there in Abraham's bosom? The Bible says that Jesus went and preached to the spirits that were in prison, preached the gospel to them, and then he took captivity captive and went to heaven. Because their spirit nature wasn't changed. 
The law couldn't make you righteous before God. Adam's sin killed the spirit nature of man, of that man, and henceforth all of his children were born with a spirit nature that was separated from God because the glory departed. The spirit departed. So Adam was physically alive, but he was dead to God. Remember that scripture where the Lord told him, don't eat of the tree because if you do, in dying, you shall die. Two deaths are spoken of. The first death was the death of his spirit. That spirit was instantly separated from God. And that's why Adam looked at himself and went, I'm not who I was. I'm not. And tried to cover up because he was aware of who he was. Because the part of God that was in him suddenly departed from him. And he knew that he was alone and that he was naked. So everybody that died from Adam to Jesus went into Abraham's bosom because none of their spirits had been made righteous. My own personal belief that that's where the one Christian religion got purgatory from. Yeah, well, you know, if you die, we just hope you did good, but we'll pray for you. You know, I hope we pray and do enough candles, you'll get out. All that is done. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That was finished when, and so Jesus went down there, preached the gospel, said to the people in captivity, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. You believe in me that I paid the price for your sins and you'll have a new nature. You'll be recreated or what we call born again. They believed. Instantly they're born again and Jesus took that whole group out of there as the first fruits that went to heaven. You need to know this. Before Jesus took those people, well, before Jesus went to heaven and put his blood on the heavenly utensils of worship to cleanse them, nobody was in heaven. There was no human that had been taken to heaven. Enoch didn't go to heaven. He walked with God and he was not. Was not meaning he wasn't here anymore. But he didn't go to heaven because he wasn't a righteous man. His spirit man was still in sin separated from God because nobody paid the price for mankind's sin. The Bible says that sacrifices, bulls and goats and offerings could not pay the price for man's sin. Right? So if the price couldn't be paid for their sin, then they couldn't go to heaven as righteous people because their spirit wasn't in fellowship with God in the sense that it was righteous enough. You have to be perfect to get into heaven. What's perfect? We will talk about that. (laughs) So now notice this. Paul's making his case here for what happens to us in what Jesus did in the shift that happened. And like I've said to this church so many times, Paul was the only one that knew this when he wrote it. And what was interesting to me was I was just reading, I'm reading in, the, in Acts right now, and in Acts, Paul stands up to make his defense and says, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and I am this, and I am that, and on a certain day on the road to Damascus, the light appeared unto me, and the Lord Jesus told me, blah, 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 blah. And they go all the way through, and they listen to him up until he says, and the Lord spoke to me and said, go unto the Gentiles. And the Jews rejected him right there. This is some 30 years between 20 and 30 years after he first got the revelation and said, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to obey the law. And when they condemned him 25, 30 years later, because they still didn't get it. Paul preached that message. And this is the Jews in Jerusalem. Look up at me for a minute. And many of them were Christians. But they started to lay a beating on Paul because Paul said, you don't have to keep the law. 
So 30 years, imagine, I felt sorry for the guy. I thought he spent his whole ministry preaching this message and it still wasn't received. You read the scriptures and it says that he says at one point after all these churches in Asia and he says, all those in Asia have turned against me. Wait, what? Made me not feel so bad when we've raised up victory churches over the years and some of them turned against us, you know, and some of them went a different way and maybe they had a good reason. But I thought Paul said, all my work in Asia, all the, all the missionary stuff that I did, they've all turned against me. And he's writing that from jail. Huh. I wonder how you would feel about that. God, was it, was it fruitless? Was it, why? Because somebody came in afterwards and said, and you saw this in Paul's ministry. They would come in afterwards and they would say, now you know what? You need to be circumcised to, to, to keep the law. You've got to keep the law. Yes, we get saved, but you've got to make sure that you keep the law. You've got to make sure your kids are circumcised. You've got to make sure you do all the sacrifices and you've got to make sure. And the same thing happens in Christianity. I'm preaching better than you're amen and Because we get saved, and then we get somewhere where they go, okay, now you have to do this, 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 and this if you actually want to please God. Come on. Hmm? (laughs) Let's keep digging. Romans 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law... What I just read right there, the early church never got. Never, ever, ever got. They kept doing the law for centuries until the gospel went to the Gentiles. Hmm. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there's his case, right? There's the case that's against us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. How many of you went to a church that you had that scripture memorized? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you hear it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. How come we never went to the next line? Being justified freely by his grace. Why didn't we focus on the fact that we were justified freely? Why did we focus? Because it's easier to focus on sin consciousness than it is to focus on righteousness consciousness. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth as a propitiation, a better word there might be as an atonement for us, by his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Who's that? Those are all the guys in the Old Testament, right? In his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Why do you think he called the sacrifice the Passover? All he did for 2,000 years from Abraham and the sacrifices all the way through Moses, all the way to Jesus, he just passed over. What does that mean? I just walked past that sin. I'm not going to stop and take account of it. You sacrifice the lamb, I'm passing over. Year after year, decade after decade, century after century, he passed over the sins. Then they died and went to Abraham's bosom. 
And in his forbearance, God passed over the sins that they'd committed. Why? To demonstrate at the present time. So now he's bringing us up to Jesus and to what happened. His righteousness, that's God's, that he, God, might be just and that he, God, might be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Oh. So God's condemned me, which he had to do. He had to, he had to expose my position of hopelessness in order to tell me that he'd created something that justified me freely. So then it's like, so what do I have to do to get the justified freely thing? Right? It's his righteousness. What did they say in the Old Testament? That our righteousness is as dirty rags. Right? Isn't that interesting that when Joshua appeared before him or the, the man of God appeared before him and Isaiah saw it and he said it was like dirty rags. His righteousness was as dirty rags. What was that? That was his position still as one who wasn't righteous before God because his spirit nature hadn't been changed. So in order for him to fulfill the clause that God had for him, the cherubim, the seraphim takes a coal of holiness, touches him and purifies him so that he can fulfill the task, but it still didn't change his nature because the sacrifice hadn't been made that could be received by the blood that would cleanse him. By man's hand, blood was shed. By man's hand, blood must be redeemed. It took blood to redeem Adam, but the bulls and goats wouldn't do it. So see it like this. We could never do anything from this end to achieve right standing with God. When the price, <clears throat> so God sent Jesus, the sinless one, to pay the price of Adam's sin and by default, all of our sin. When that price was paid, God said, good enough for me. God looked at the sacrifice, he said, that's good enough. And he accepted Jesus' sacrifice as sufficient for the sin of all mankind. So here you've got a sacrifice that's made. If you look up here for a sec, it's like God sees what's needed. He sends Jesus, the sinless one. Jesus pays the price and the sacrifice is made. God looks at the sacrifice and says, I accept that. I accept that right there for all mankind. When I look at the same sacrifice and I go, he did that for all mankind. That means he did it for me. I accept the sacrifice. When I accept the sacrifice that God accepted, God accepts me. When I accept the sacrifice that God made for me, my nature changes to righteousness because Jesus himself took my sin. So when I look on that sacrifice... And I say, I believe. You can't work for it. God had to do it himself. You know the problem with faith? It's too easy. Well, I, 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 that, I've said to people, you pray this prayer and you believe it in your heart. You pray this prayer and you say it. You pray this prayer and believe it in your heart. Lord, in the name of Jesus... You sent Jesus for me. I don't understand it, but I believe he died for me. And I've, had, I've led people and said, you pray this prayer. And I've had people just say to me, that, that, that's not enough. Why? Because we feel there's got to be something that I can do to earn this. I have to. And yet Paul says, 
He that works for it, it's attributed as a debt and not as grace. So if I say to God, that's not enough and I've got to work for it, so I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to tithe, I'm going to do all these things, I'm going to try not to swear, I'm going to do all these things, what you're setting up is your own religious structure to substitute God's free gift. And God says, there's no way you can do that because your sin nature won't change. No matter how many people you bless, no matter how much money you give away, no matter how many missionary trips you go on, no matter how many times you show up at church, if your nature doesn't change, you and I can't earn righteousness because we can't become perfect by ourselves. We can't pull ourselves up out of the mud of sin by grabbing our boots and saying, I'm just going to pull harder. Are you here? When I receive the sacrifice as sufficient for my sin, God exchanges my old sin nature for the new nature in Christ Jesus. And when that happens, he receives me. And the Bible says that I'm as righteous as Christ Jesus is. Let's keep going. Go to Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> I hope you got your Bible because I want you to see this in here. What we're talking about today is the fundamental gospel. This will change your life. It changes. This, this just clarifies everything about religion and Jesus and being good and trying nice and all of that. Romans 5 verse 12. The wisdom of Holy Spirit through Paul. Therefore, he's talking about all the same stuff that we just read in Romans 3. Just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. In other words, we all sinned in Grandpa Adam. <clears throat> I wonder if Adam's going to have a lineup when we all get to heaven. <laughs> People go, who's that guy? That's Adam. Adam, come over here for a minute. I got a couple of questions for you, you meathead. I was, I was bugging the Lord about that one time. I was bugging the Lord. I was saying, you know, like the first guy, the very first guy that you create blows it. And then I started thinking about, you know, then I got, I, I got mad at Adam. I thought, man, Adam, like it's just an apple, you know, for heaven's sake, like go to the pizza tree or something, <laughs> you know. And then, then these thoughts started to come to me. What if, what if Adam hadn't sinned? And so then the righteous, Adam and Eve, have Cain, and then they have Abel, and then they have others, and we know that, that, that they had to have wives. Well, those wives had to come. People, they, did, they didn't just drop out of heaven, you guys. Just don't get spooky and weird. Like, people go, where did Cain get his wife? Gosh, I wonder where. There was only a couple of other humans on the earth at the time. Eve was a baby-producing factory. But the Bible follows the scarlet cord, the holy line. The Bible follows this line and this line. But here's my point. So they start having children. What if they have children for, you know, 50 generations? And then down over here, Bob the builder... <laughs> Is that a cartoon, Bob the Builder? 
Okay, for those of you. What if Bob the bad guy, he decides, you know what? I want to go and check out the tree. Like, I don't know what everybody else is, but I'm going to go check. He goes, checks out the tree. <clears throat> he eats. He loses his, his sin. He loses his righteousness nature, right? And I started to think, and then I thought, then that sin is going to pass to everyone who he reproduces. So here you've got this big reproductive line going, generational tree, and this one is going to start affecting that tree, and eventually this one is going to take over the other one because evil communications, evil always corrupts good. Good doesn't overtake evil in the sense of what the Bible talks about. That evil overtakes it. So I thought, it had to happen with the first guy. Thank God it happened with the first guy. What if we'd come all the way through and then it happened with you? Because we all have a propensity for disobedience. Smile. Romans 5. Verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus... Death spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 13, notice again. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. That answers the question right there of why God didn't judge Lucifer and cast him into a pit forever because there was no law yet that said you can't rebel. Why did he let him run free? Apparently, there was a law in heaven that said, you can't stay here, right? And he was cast down to the earth. But you read in some of Paul's stuff here in Romans, it answers the big questions that we have about, well, how come God, you know, how come God cast Lucifer to the earth and then created mankind in the devil's prison house? Hmm? That's for another message. <clears throat> Nevertheless, death reigned, verse 14, from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness or transgression of Adam. That's us, right? Death reigned. Who is a type of him who is to come. Notice that right there. That Adam was a type of him who is to come. So now he's introducing something. The free gift is not like the offense. The free gift is, is Jesus. For if by one man's offense many died, notice what he does here is bring contrast. Back and forth, back and forth. If by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift of the grace by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. In other words, it's, it's the contrast. It's the other side. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. That's Adam's sin, right? Everybody following that? Okay. <clears throat> but the free gift, there's Jesus, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. Ooh, what's justification? Makes you perfect. Makes you just. One guy said it this way, just as if I'd never sinned. Huh. For if by the one, verse 17, if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and look at the next line. The gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness. If it's a gift, you can't earn it. It's a gift, you can't work for it. 
all you have to do to get a gift was get born. And every year they celebrate your bornness. No matter how many years born you are. You got born. And every year you get gifts. And when you got born again, you got a gift. And the gift was God's own righteousness. Perfection is the, is the only way to get into heaven. You have to be perfect. Why? Because God's perfect. And he said, be ye holy. Be ye perfect as I am. Huh. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Oh, I like the next line. Will reign in life. We'll talk about that maybe next week. Through the one Christ Jesus. Righteousness with God is a gift and there's nothing you can do to earn it. As a matter of fact, if you're trying to earn it, you're telling God he owes you righteousness. I did this and I did this, so you owe me blessing. You owe me healing. You owe me a good husband. You owe me a good life because look at how good I've been to all these people. You can't, God doesn't respond to anything owe because it all comes out of the sin nature that says, I did this, so you better do this. And he's like, sorry, you're a donkey. I need to make you a, notice I used the nice words. <clears throat> Some of you was like, whew, that one did. Stay with it. I can't make you a racehorse until you receive racehorse gift. Righteousness makes you ukalabasha, a racehorse in the spirit. Look at Colossians now. Righteousness is a gift. And you know what? When you start thinking about this, it changes the Bible. Because the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man how many times have we not prayed that thinking, well, I'm not very righteous, you know. That must be somebody like Pastor John. No. Ask Debbie about that. She'll clarify things for you. <laughs> Colossians 2, verse 13. And you, being dead in trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, that is Christ, having forgiven you all trespasses. Look at where, this is, a, this is a legal disclaimer that Paul makes right here. Made alive together with him, forgiven you all trespasses. Everything the sin nature produced. But not only that, look at what he says. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements against us. The Greek says right there, the certificate of debt having wiped out the certificate of debt that we owed God. What was that certificate of debt? It was what Adam did when he disobeyed. When he disobeyed, he created a certificate of debt that he could never pay back because of his disobedience. The Bible says that he knew what he was doing and he made that. <laughs> See if there's any of you old Pentecostals here. I had a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to take my sins away. Way to go. There's 17 old Pentecostal people in here. That was the debt. So it says here, he wiped out the handwriting and the certificate of debt that was against us, which was contrary to us. I'm about to get happy. And he has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. 
And what's the result of that? Having disarmed principalities and powers. What principalities and powers? The same ones that could hold that debt up against you and say, you can't pray that prayer because you're not righteous. Oh, yes, I am. He paid my debt and I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Yeah, but you're not good enough. You didn't go to church last week. You can't do that. Yeah, but he, he nailed to the cross all the debt that I owed God was nailed to the cross. When you get born again, you don't owe God nothing. You need to think about what I just said right there. <laughs> that's a, that's a, now, don't, don't go online and take that statement out of context. The pastor said you don't owe God nothing. We owe him our life. We owe him, oh, so you're still in the debt then. Well, I owe God my obedience. Okay, but what's it coming from? Well, I better obey God, you know, or else God won't dot, dot, dot. As soon as you say that, it came from the wrong place. That's why the Bible says that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Not the meanness of God. It's his goodness that God, because he did so much goodness, we're like, oh my goodness, I've been set free. Wow, what can I do for you? Instead of, oh, Lord, you know what a sinner I am. Well, if you're a sinner, get saved. You're either a sinner or you're a saint. There's no middle ground. Well, I'm a nice person. Well, that's nice, but you're still under the debt. Mm -mm -mm -mm. So the legal case that was against mankind because of Adam's sin was completely abolished when Jesus nailed it to the cross and paid the price of that debt. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Now listen to this line, that we might become the righteousness of God. We don't have righteousness imputed. The guy that had the coal put on him, here am I, Lord, send me, uh, I've put the coal on you and cleansed your lips. He had righteousness imputed so he could finish the task, but he didn't become righteous. Look up at me here for a minute. You are the most righteous right now you will ever be. You will never be more righteous in your nature as a child of God. You can be a million years in heaven and you won't be as righteous as you are, and you'll still be, pardon me, as righteous as you are right now. Why? Because righteousness doesn't change. It's either not or it is. You either aren't or you are. You're either unrighteous or you're righteous. You can't be both. There's no way to be both. Well, what about my flesh? We'll talk about that in the next week or so. I've got three weeks to talk about this. So here's a key thought. That, 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 uh, write this down and remember it for the rest of your life. Righteousness is not something I do. When I receive Jesus, it's something I am. It's something I am. Now, I'm gonna tell you, because for some of you, this is brand new. When you start to say, Lord, I wanna thank you that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Everything in your soul and your flesh is gonna fight you. And the devil will jump on that because if you get to know that, the Bible says much more those who receive the gift of grace 
uh, and the gift of the, the grace of God and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. As soon as you find out you're righteous, it all of a sudden creates a perspective that says, wait a minute, if I'm righteous and the devil attacks me, I reign in my life. That means that one Bible says we reign as kings. What does the king do? He says, not having that. So once that, once that position of righteousness is established on the inside, you start to deal with things differently. I'm getting ahead of myself here. But when you're as righteous, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. That means that you're in Jesus. How could you be seated with Christ in heavenly places, according to Ephesians 2, if you weren't as righteous as Jesus is? You couldn't be seated with him because you'd be imperfect. Do we still blow it in the flesh? Yes, you have that darn flesh and it still has that sin nature. Thank God for a new body. When you get to heaven, you get a brand new spanking body with no sin nature in it. There'll be no temptation. There'll be no fleshly anger problems. All that gets taken away. But God leaves us in this body with the sin nature, well, the problem probably was if he'd have taken away the sin nature in the body, we'd have just got raptured when we got saved. Spirit, soul, body. Hmm. But he had to leave somebody here to preach the gospel. Think about it. Go with me to Ephesians. Righteousness is not something I do when I receive Jesus. It's something I am. Best thing in the world you can start to and is saying, Lord, I want to thank you that my spirit, my inner man is righteous before you. All of a sudden, your awareness of his pleasure with you will start to come forth. Lord, I'm the righteousness of God. I had nothing to do with it. What a gift. Thank you for what you did for me. Wow, I'm one of the sons of God. Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. Are you guys getting that? We're dead in trespasses. Paul just paints that so clearly. Dead in trespasses. Dead in trespasses and sins. Dead in your old life under the law. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved, hallelujah, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You look down to verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means he took that old dead spirit and he made it what he wanted it to be. The, 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 the Greek word there actually for workmanship is the word poema. And it's where we get the word poem. For you are his poem. A poem is an expression of beauty from the heart of the creator. God now sees you and I as an, a reflection, as a poem, an expression, because when you got born again, his spirit did something inside of you that made you completely unique before him. An expression of beauty, a poem, a sound that's pleasing to his ears. That's what poetry is supposed to be. Huh. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Galatians 6.15, let me just read you. This one says this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. When you hear Paul talk about circumcision and uncircumcision, he's not just talking about the physical act. He's talking about the expansion of that thought 
to what circumcision represents in the law. That if you're going to be a son of Abraham, you had to be circumcised. And then with Moses, you had to keep all the rules. So circumcision represented the fullness of what was required of you under the law. So he's not just talking about snip, snip. He's talking about something here that represents. So when he goes as uncircumcision, he's saying all the things that happen when you're not confined to that particular type of, of physical situation, all the things that it represents of, of uncircumcision. So Paul says there, for in Christ Jesus, neither keeping all those laws nor not keeping any of the laws avails anything what counts is a new creation. Come on. So let's summarize. We were all sinners before God because of Adam's choice to disobey, and because of that, we inherited his fallen nature. Every person born on the earth. It's very interesting. I read a study several years ago by, I believe it was University of California, um, San Francisco, and they had, science had discovered by this time, before this time, that our cells reproduce every seven years. And so these students were assigned the task of finding out why do our cells depreciate at every cycle? If they all, every cell in your body is, re, why, don't, why don't they? And they discovered um, two things. Number one, through the genetics, they said, all humans came from one woman. And because of their brilliance, they thought, let's call her Eve. <laughs> Read the first three chapters, it was already there. But then what they discovered was this, that there was a flaw that attached itself so that every generation of cells was not as healthy or strong as the last one. And I forget what the name of the thing, what they called it, but they also discovered this, that that flaw is passed genetically through the man. That's the seed of the man that has the flaw in it so you can't live forever. If you could get rid of the seed of the man and a woman could be impregnated without human seed, the child that she birthed could live forever because there's no flaw in their blood. Which is why Jesus had to be born from the Father and not from a man, because if he was born from a man, he would die. If Jesus hadn't sacrificed himself on the cross, he'd still be alive. Because he was perfect. There was no sin. Interesting, isn't it? Once you understand the Bible, science begins to align. If you only understand science, you get weird and say that we came from monkeys. So we were all sinners because of Adam's choice to disobey. We inherited his fallen nature. Jesus came and took upon himself the penalty for Adam's transgression and God accepted his sacrifice. When I receive Jesus as Lord, my fallen nature is replaced by the nature of Jesus himself and my new nature is completely righteous before God. If I'm a new creation in Christ, my focus is no longer sin. Get what I'm saying here? Yes, we still have to confess 1 John 1, 9. When you blow it, repent. But that's not my focus. I remember one time we were doing communion years ago and I was just checking my heart and I couldn't think of any sin. 
And don't get into, well, it's a sin of commission or omission. Well, if it's omission and you didn't know you weren't supposed to do it, you're not held accountable for it. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. You start worrying about sins of omission. What did I omit today? I forgot to put gas in the car when my wife asked me. Like, you just, there's a principle there, but you can just get weird on it. But if you're focusing on sin all the time, and I'm sitting there doing communion, and I couldn't think of any sin. And then I started to feel guilty. That's kind of twisted, eh? God, I can't think of anything. And the devil comes, well, you must have done something. And I wanted to go, Lord, for anything I might have done. And I thought, no, in the name of Jesus, if the Holy Spirit doesn't bring it up. And I just said, Father, here I am, and I thank you for the... And I wish it happened every week. It doesn't happen every week. But I just said, Lord, and I, I, what I became aware of, and we'll touch on this in the next couple of weeks, the Bible talks about those who, having received the sacrifice, speaking of Jesus' sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, should have no more remembrance of sin. Oh, now, Pastor, just a minute there, bless God. You're getting off into some shaky ground there. No more, you know, we all sin. If anybody says that I don't have any sin, then he's been deceived. He's a liar. Yeah, we do sin and we blow it. What if you could walk for a month and not sin? (laughs) Some of you are like, yeah, no. Others are like, really? Is your focus sin consciousness? Or is your focus righteousness consciousness? When you sin, don't run from God, run to him. Right away, run and say, God, I'm sorry, I did it again. I plead the blood, I plead the blood, I plead the blood. And I confess it and I thank you for my forgiveness and my cleansing. Woohoo! Glory to God, thank you for the blood. Well, it's not that easy. No, it's not because the devil comes back and beats on you and beats on you and you and I know our own failings more than anybody else and so sometimes it's a process. But what I just did right there shows a focus on, wait a minute, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ and I'm trying to live this out in my flesh and I still got this sin nature in my flesh and I still got stuff in my mind and in my soul but in the name of Jesus, I'm moving towards you in this and I thank you that your righteousness lives on the inside of me and I call that righteousness out. I call that righteousness out in my actions this week. I call that righteousness out in my words this week. I call out that righteousness in my walk with my wife and with my kids. Lord, in the name of Jesus, help me, Holy Spirit, to walk in the righteousness that's been planted on the inside of me. For greater is he that's inside me, the righteous one, than he that's in the world. Hallelujah. Stand up. Learn not to focus on the sin nature all the time. Go out of this this morning, and we're gonna pray a prayer here in case you've never prayed this prayer. We're gonna pray a prayer here that if you've never made that choice to say, God, I want this, and I want the new nature. Jesus is the only one in the whole world that when you pray to him, he'll change you from an ass to a racehorse. He's the only one that'll change your nature from that which fell away from God and rejects him to one who says, God, I don't understand it all. Here I am. Somebody said, well, I don't understand how it works. Thank God you don't have to understand how it works. It's like getting on an airplane. Who knows how to fly the sucker? I don't know, but you can get on and fly to Hawaii. 
and this is a good time to do it. <laughs> February. So let's pray this prayer. I'm going to pray it out, and I want you to pray it after me. And if you've never prayed it, or maybe you just kind of threw it out, well, yeah, I know. No, then pray it today and mean it, because your nature can change today and be changed for the rest of eternity. Let's pray it. Father God, I come to you this morning because you sent Jesus to pay my price, to pay my debt that I inherited from my grandpa Adam. So this morning, the first Sunday in February, 2024, I open my heart to you. I'm asking you today to receive me because today I choose to receive Jesus and what he did for me. Jesus, I ask you right now to come into my life, to come into my heart, and to take over, to make me your child, to do for me what I could never do for myself. Be accepted before God. I believe you died for my sin. And I believe that God raised you from the dead. And today, I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Do with me what you desire for the rest of my life. I give you my heart in Jesus' name. So if you prayed that today for the first time, just come up afterwards and see Pastor John just for a couple of minutes. We want to give you a couple of things that will help you to understand what I preached this morning. How many of you are here this morning, quick show of hands, that have never heard that like that before? Never heard us talk about that like that? Come on, just put your hand, let me see. Because I figured there was quite a number of us that this was something. For those of you who have heard it, it's fundamental. You need to pick that back up again because 2024 is going to be one of those years where it's going to be like, woo-hoo-hoo, boy. It's going to be a roller coaster. And if you know who you are in Christ, you'll stay in the bucket and you won't get thrown out. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed. We got some prayers here. If you'd like prayer, come on up and let them pray for you. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us online today. We hope you enjoyed the service. If you'd like more information about Southside Victory Church, download our app from the App Store follow us on social media, or check out our website at svcf.ca. If you'd like to hear more from Pastor Craig, you can check out www.timesofrefreshing.com or follow Times of Refreshing on social media to see if he's speaking in a city near you. You can connect with the church anytime, give us a phone call, or send us an email. Thanks again for joining us in building a community of believers together. We'll see you next week.